Good morning, everyone. I think I'm here and you're here. Uh, thanks for braving the uh, intense snow. Uh, man, I went to bed last night and they're like, yeah, two to four inches. Uh, I'm not going to complain, though. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for this. Hey, have you ever had someone tell you that something was going to be really, really easy and it turned out to not be? For instance, my father-in-law is a natural handyman. He is not afraid to do car repair, appliance repair, home remodeling, whatever he needs to do. He just does it. Me, I need to watch like 407 YouTube videos just to figure out how to begin. Right? He, he'll tell me, oh, Aaron, that, that should only take like one to two hours. And in my head, I immediately double it going, okay, so at least two to four for me. And then once I begin the project, I discover I probably should have quadrupled it. Like he just, it just comes easy to him and I just don't feel natural at it. Maybe you have had something similar. Someone told you that that song that they wrote only took them like 10 minutes to write it. And you're sitting there thinking, I don't even know where B flat is on the piano, you know, or, or perhaps, you know, someone at work tells you like, oh, I love the new software. It's so easy to use. And you still are trying to figure out how to input numbers into certain fields. Like it just, you can't figure it out. Or perhaps, you know, you're talking to someone about car repair and they're like, yeah, it's so easy to change out the headlight fluid in your, in your car. And you just look at them blankly. There's no such thing as headlight fluid. Okay, so now you, now you know. But, but maybe there's something that they said, this is going to be really easy. And instead, it feels very unnatural. That might be how today's sermon will feel. Because as we go and study the early church, we're going to see that they did something very, very naturally but for us, it's going to feel difficult. It, it's not going to feel like a, a part of who we are. And what I'm talking about is the idea of being a church that does almost everything together. Now, that may sound inspiring. It may, it may, you may be just thinking, oh, that, that's fine. Yeah, we can do things together. But the problem is, you and I, we're Americans. Well, I, I'm assuming everyone here is an American. If, if you're not, just give me grace. But for us Americans with our Western mindset, we are very individualistic. For example, when you're out about driving around, just notice how many cars are being driven by just one person. When I sit at duos each week with a friend, I, I can't help but remark how many people walk in the door alone, stand in line alone, get their coffee, and then they walk out alone, getting back into their car to drive to work. Like, we are just very, very individualistic. And Leanne and I felt this when we moved to Waverly and began to plant Riverwood. I did about 50 community interviews, and I tried to meet with each of the pastors. Unfortunately, some of them wouldn't meet with me. But those that did, I remember one in particular, she told me that Waverly is very, she put it as, they're very medieval German. And, and I knew about, you know, like Wartburg and kind of its German history, but I, I didn't, what do you mean medieval German? She says, everyone thinks their house is their castle and they're not going to let you cross the moat of their front door until you know them really, really well. And they're not going to come to your house either. And sure enough, we would talk to people and go to invite them over to our house. And you could just almost see the speech bubble. There was fear in their eyes, like come to your castle, like. No, you're probably starting a cult and you'll put me in your dungeon. Like they, they would find some excuse like, well, you know, once you start a Sunday morning worship service, I would come to that. They lied because we've started Sunday morning services and they haven't come. But still, they just looked at us like, are you crazy? I'm going to stay in my castle. You stay 
in yours because we are all individuals. Now, you may think that this means that today's sermon is going to be a guilt trip. That basically, I'm going to guilt all of us into stop being individualistic and, and start turning towards, you know, togetherness. But, well, I, I'm just going to let you know, I'm, I'm going to confess, I might be the worst culprit in the room. I mean, if the Apostle Paul could call himself the chief of sinners, I should probably call myself the chief of soloness. Because I honestly don't mind just doing things by myself. For instance, if, if I have to go on a long car trip and others maybe head in that same direction, I would still kind of prefer to just go by myself. Not because I don't like people. I would probably actually really enjoy the conversation and the time with them. It's just, by being by myself, I can listen to my podcasts. Or I honestly don't mind when my wife has things on her to-do list and things that keep her from like hanging out with me and, and doing things. She, her love language is quality time. Like this fr last Friday night, we went on a date. It was wonderful. But if she's like, hey, I can't hang out with you tonight. I, I've got this and this and this. I'm still a happy camper. I get to watch what I want to watch and do what I want to do. I am the chief of soloness. But I think it's also just my wiring. My mom said that when I was four years old, I went to spend the night at a friend's house. And it's the first time her baby was away from her. So I, I, the friend brought, friend's mom brought me home. And I walk in the door. And my mom says, she, got, she looks at me and goes, did you miss me? Because she clearly did. And I looked right at her and said, no. <laughs> Headed off to my room to play. I think my mom has forgiven me for that moment. But I, I don't think it's just my wiring. I, I think it's also because I was born in America and raised in America. And as Americans, we tend to just be very individualistic. Now, I don't want you to think I'm saying that it's wrong to have this individualistic mindset. I think that independent spirit is some of what has contributed to America being a great nation. I think some of the things that we've seen this nation accomplish are because of that kind of independent entrepreneurial spirit. But what happens is that part of our nature, that part of our culture, it's just a part of our wiring. It slips into our spiritual life. And what ends up happening is we just take on this idea of following Jesus as an individual. There's so many times where I've, I've been in a part of a small group and I've asked someone, hey, would you be willing to lead in prayer? And they look at me like, oh, no. Like, I, I, I pray, I'll, I'll talk to God on my own, but I, I don't pray with others. Or, or, you know, well, I, I read the Bible by myself, but, you know, I'm not comfortable reading it out loud. You know, I, some of those names, they, they confuse me. I don't know how to pronounce those. Or, or we, we come to church and, and we listen to a sermon and we walk away trying to figure out, okay, so how do I apply this to my life? For some of us, we even go so far as when we hear famous verses like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, what we actually hear is for God so loved me that he gave his one and only begotten son. That's why today's sermon is going to feel unnatural. Because as we go and we study the early church, we're going to see they did almost everything together. And I believe for us to be the church that God is calling us to be, for us to move forward into the next chapter of our church's life, it means we have to do it together, not just as a group of individuals. But so many of us, we've, we've established these ruts of just doing life the way we want to do them. And it's going to take some work for God to pull us out of those and to establish some new ruts. But I think our joy as a church will deepen and, and, and what we see God accomplish through us will go so much further if we stop just being a group of people that kind of gathers together on Sundays occasionally 
and actually becomes this church that really moves together. And to help us see that, I invite you to open up to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're studying Acts 2, verses 42 through 47 every single week of this five-week series. Uh, so we're going to read it again. We're going to read it every single week. Um, if you do not have a Bible, I've got the scripture like usual up on the screen. But I'm going to really encourage you, bring a Bible every single week. If you need to, take one off the Give and Grow table when you come on Sundays. In fact, just take it with you. Make it your Bible or download a Bible to your phone and use it on Sundays. And that way, wherever you go with your phone, you always have a Bible available to you. Uh, you know what? Let me, let me just pray and then we will read. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, I have prepared certain things to say, and yet I realize that it really isn't so much about what I want to convey. It's really about what you have been saying and need to say and will continue to say. Uh, Father, your, your mission, uh, your gospel, your church existed long before Riverwood ever existed, and it will continue far after a Riverwood has ended. And so, Father, we want you to show us what is our place in your story. What is the church you are calling us to be? How are we to move forward into following you into the future that you already see, the place you're already at? Because we believe there are people who need to know this gospel. There's work that you want to do in us. And so, Father, open our ears and hearts and minds to what you need to do, what you need to say to us today. God, help us to move out of just thinking so individualistic to actually beginning to think of us together because there's something that you do through a group of people. And so, Lord, would you just help us to hear that and not just hear it, but to actually go about and begin to change it. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. All right, let me read Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Last week, as we kicked off this series, we looked at verses 42 and 43, and we saw the early church move forward in faith through the work of God and the word of God. And so because last week we did verses 42 and 43, my original plan was to come to verse 44 and plumb the depths of that. Because listen to verse 44. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. I mean, at just the surface, you immediately see this is the verse about togetherness. And if we wanted to, we could just really stop and take time to kind of plumb deep and see what does togetherness truly look like. But as I began working on my message this week, I realized I can't just center on verse 44 because all six verses here are steeping in this idea of togetherness. Like it infects and affects everything they did. And as I began working through it, I realized that our pathway was right here. If you're not familiar with what our pathway is, it's gather, grow, give, go. You see it on our, on our banners. Uh, we, we talk about it. In fact, we just talked about it two weeks ago during Vision Sunday. And so we looked at Ezekiel 47, kind of our key passage, a passage about a, a river and some trees growing along it, thus the name Riverwood. 
And we saw that Ezekiel the prophet walked through that life-giving river four times. And each time it got deeper. And I tried to show how it relates to gather, grow, give, go. But as much as I see gather, grow, give, go in Ezekiel 47, it is even clearer right here in Acts chapter uh, 2, 42 through 47. And so what I want to do is I want to show you how these four things the church was doing, but they weren't just doing them as a group of individuals. They did it collectively. And so for us to move forward, the first thing is we need to gather together. We are to be gathering together. Just skip down there to uh, verse uh, 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now notice, they were gathering. Where did they gather? It says day by day, attending the temple together. So they, they were going to the temple to worship collectively as a group. Now, I think we as these American Christians... We live in a world where there's Christianity and there's Judaism. We see them as two different religions. But to the original Jesus followers, th there was no difference. It, it was all the same. I mean, Jesus was a Jew. He was the Jewish Messiah. They were Jews who would go to the temple on the Sabbath. They would hear these scriptures reading, uh, read about this coming Messiah. But now they knew the Messiah had come. And, and so they just saw this as the continuation, the fulfillment of Judaism. So they just continued to do what they'd always been doing. It's just when they went, they didn't long for the coming Messiah. They worshiped God because he had sent his Messiah. So they were gathering together in these large group gatherings. But then notice, it spilled over into this. It says, and breaking bread in their homes. And, and so they were also gathering together in their homes. Sometimes it was just to eat a meal together. But also, and we'll talk about this more a little bit, it was to help each other grow spiritually. Something happened when they came together. They just couldn't help it. They gathered together because Jesus had died on a cross, resurrected from the, the dead, and they were celebrating it. And out of that celebration, they came together to worship. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the author warns this. He says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This last uh, Thursday, I had the joy of taking my uh, youngest son, Zion, to the Wartburg wrestling meet. Uh, he, we do have this little tradition in our family that on their half birthday, we do these daddy dates. And so a couple weeks ago, we started talking and planning, well, what do you want to do? His, his half birthday was February 5th. And he says, hey, does Wartburg have a wrestling meet? He's like, well, no, not that night, but they do the next night. He's like, let's go. And you have to understand, it's the Battle of the Bergs. Number one Warburg against number two Augsburg. Since 1995, only two teams have won the national championship, Augsburg and Warburg. Last year, Augsburg won it. And so they began the season ranked number one. But in January at the national duels in the finals, Warburg upset Augsburg and then took over the number one ranking. But Augsburg had a couple of key wrestlers out due to injury. Well, those guys were back. So the question was, was Augsburg going to walk in to, to Waverly and take the title back in this Battle of the Bergs? They've, they've made this kind of WWE-looking belt, you know, a boxer belt. And were they going to take the belt back with them? Well, the meet started, and it looked like they were going to. They, out of the first five matches, they won four of them. And so at intermission, it was 14-3. to three. Pretty much the only way that Warburg was going to come back and get it is if they won all five uh, of the uh, next uh, 
uh, meets, the, the matches, or they were going to have to get some pins. Well, they didn't get the pins, but they first match after intermission, they, they got a win. And then the second match, they got a, another win. And then the third match, they actually got a major decision worth four points for your team. So now they're only down 14 to 13. It's looking possible. But if in one of the next two they lose, Augsburg walks away with it. So they have to win these last two. Well, at the 133 pound, they win. And so they're now up 16 to 14. But a win in wrestling is only three points. And so if Augsburg wins, they will take the meet 17 to 16. So we have to get the win if we're going to keep our number one ranking. I wish you could have been there. Levick Arena should have been renamed Electric Arena. I mean, this place was buzzing through that whole last match. Everyone's on their feet. The smallest thing, everyone's cheering or groaning. I mean, it just went back and forth. It was so close. But then the last 15 seconds were happening, and they're counting down. Our guy was up, and the buzzer went, and the place erupted. My ears were ringing for the next two or three hours. But the place was just on fire. Now, I'll be honest. If I'd been at home watching on my computer alone... I'd have been happy. I would have been cheering. But my enjoyment level was so much higher because I got to experience it with my son and I got to do it with a bunch of other people who actually understand the sport. It's amazing how many people I talk to about wrestling and they just look at me like, you're weird. That's a weird sport. But these guys got it. They understood it. And the place just was on fire. Whether it's a sporting event, a movie, a concert, Something happens when people gather. It takes it to a whole different level than when we just do it by ourselves. And that's why the author of Hebrews says to not stop meeting together, but to continue come together so that you can encourage one another. And we need to be doing this all the more as we see the day of Christ's return approaching. I've met so many Christians, though, who say, ah, you know what, church just isn't my thing. I, you know, I, I worship God better when I'm out in nature. You know, I, I worship God better when I'm listening to, to music. Uh, I, I worship God better like when I'm at, when I'm at work or I'm, I'm doing a project. You know, when I'm doing my hobby, that's when I feel alive. That's when I feel really connected with God. And my response is, I get it. Why, why do you think I want to start my sabbatical this summer with a week away in Colorado in the mountains? You know, I, I, some of my deepest times of worship have just been me and a piano and no one else around. God commands us to gather. He does something when we get together for the express purposes of worshiping him, of learning about him, encouraging one another. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. The people just couldn't help but come together to gather. Because after all, Jesus himself said that where are there just even two or three gathered in his name, he is there among them doesn't mean you can't go out into nature and worship God. doesn't mean you can't put on the headphones and have a wonderful time of worship. But God does something in this. That's why we, we need to gather. But as Americans, so often we, we make the decision based on me. Do I feel like going? You know, I don't know. I've been really busy. I really could use a morning to, you know, catch up on my chores. I've got this project I need to do. I'm, I'm really kind of worn out and tired. And, and I don't want you to think I'm trying to guilt you into being here. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm the pastor, and even I'm not here every single week. But 
when we're around, we're in town, come. And sometimes pastors try to get people to come because the more people there are there, the, the better they feel. Like they, they feel more legitimate because there's more people present. That, that's not why I want you to come. Because it isn't about you coming just to make me feel good. It's about you coming because God has something for you through this format. And it's us coming together as a family to sing our praise to him, to pray together, to study the word together. God does something through this. There's been a movement in the last three, four decades where a regular attender of a church used to be there every single week, rarely would ever miss. In fact, they'd not only be there Sunday mornings, they'd be there for Sunday night and Wednesday night. And, and then things started shifting. Not as many churches started doing Sunday nights. And, and pretty soon it became, well, a regular tenor is three times a month. And then it became two. Now, a lot of churches are saying a regular tenor is someone who's there once every four to six weeks. Because if you ask them, what, what church do you attend? They'd say, oh, well, I, I go to that one. But then when you say, well, how often do you go? Well, you know, I, I, I work these weekends and I, I, I go to see my parents on this weekends and this going on. So I, I make it about once every, uh, once a month. But that's their church. They would consider themselves regular attenders. And so churches are having to adjust. So you've got churches in America right now that are growing in their membership, but they're shrinking in their attendance. And so these churches, as they're starting to build new facilities, they're actually building smaller than what used to be traditionally done because people are not coming in the same regular basis. Because so many people think my spiritual faith is just as good by going online and listening to the sermon it's just as good by going and listening to the latest worship album. It's, it's just as good by sending, you know, in some, some money. And so I'm, I'm, I'm good. But I think you're missing out. God calls us to gather. When we look at the cross and we see what Jesus did, it should suddenly become like we're in electric arena. It should cause us to just burst out with excitement. And we want to share this with others because he did this for us. Not just me, but the whole world. So we need to gather. If we're going to move forward, we move forward by gathering together. But we also see in Acts 2, it isn't just in the gathering. It also comes by growing. We are to move forward by growing together. At Riverwood, we define uh, in our gather, grow, give, go that grow refers to our spiritual growth. Uh, not physical growth, even though we have a lot of kids who are, who are growing. Uh, we don't have enough potlucks to claim that we're trying to help you grow uh, around the middle. And, and, and it's not referring to just numerical growth. As much as we want to see numerical growth here because we want to see people who, who don't know Jesus find him and begin to follow him, and we'd love to be a part of that uh, part of their journey. But for us, it's, it's spiritual growth. And at Riverwood, we take a two-handed approach to your spiritual growth. We want to see you develop uh, personal spiritual disciplines, but also we want to see you grow in the context of relationships. Uh, God in the scriptures talks about the church with a few metaphors. He, in fact, if you're in a growth group and you're using the growth group guide, you're going to look at some of those metaphors this week. But one of the metaphors he uses is that of a family. I want you to think about a healthy family, not, not just yours, because maybe yours is healthy, maybe it's not. But I want you to think, what, what does a good, healthy family do? Well, they are to love each other. They, they, they serve each other. They're teaching each other. They're helping one another grow. 
Like good parents will make sure their kids are getting the right nutrition, making sure they get enough sleep so that they can grow physically. But also there's, there's teaching them how to grow mentally, to grow academically, to grow emotionally. And so they, they seek to help them. And, and, and so there's this teaching that goes on of, of teaching them how to feed themselves, teaching them how to, you know, have good hygiene, t- teaching them all sorts of, of things. But the teaching isn't just from parents to kids. Like siblings help one another. Well, at least they, they're supposed to. You know, and, and not teaching them how to hit their other siblings, but to actually, you know, like come alongside them and they're like, well, no, 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 that, that's not what you need. Because what good families do is they help prepare people to be citizens out in society who don't just take from society, but actually contribute into it. So then when you realize that God refers to the church as a family, we should be doing the same. We should be seeking to help one another grow. And that's what we see the early church doing. They were getting into these places, not just to gather because, hey, it's kind of cool to hang out with our friends, but they were gathering for the purpose of helping one another grow. And just go back to verse 42. We looked at this verse last week, and it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, all right, to the word of God. But then notice the very next part. It says, and they also devoted themselves to the fellowship, What I discovered this week is that the Greek here, the way it's constructed, it really focuses on these two things. And everything else through verse 47 is an outflow pointing to these things. It's devoting themselves to the fellowship and devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. In other words, we could say they were devoted to the gathering and to the growing. And now you suddenly start seeing these things a little differently. You start noticing there. The next thing is they devoted themselves um, to the breaking of bread. In other words, they're getting together in homes and they're enjoying a meal. Uh, so, so there you go. If you want to encourage people, just invite them over, enjoy a meal together. But that word, the phrase breaking the bread, it also can refer to the Lord's Supper, to, to communion. And so it, it was actually part of their spiritual growth, going back and looking at the death and resurrection of Christ. Look at the next phrase. Uh, and the prayers. Well, there was probably prayer going on. I mean, think about it. If they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostles said, hey, you know what? There was this one time we saw Jesus off praying by himself. He came back and we said, hey, Jesus, can you teach us to do that? So here's what he taught us. He taught us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Well, they could go in home and they could pray that to God, to my Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. But they also taught them this in the group setting. And so they would pray together. It was both personal and corporate. And that's what we as Americans need to get, is that our spiritual growth is not going to happen only in our isolated place, of our, of our secret place, of, of being within our car, of listening to our music, to doing it our way. That our spiritual growth deepens when we get together and we encourage one another to grow. That's why at Riverwood, we, we form growth groups. We just want to create an avenue, a place for you to come and, and not only have people help you grow, but a place for you to help other people grow. Something happens in that space. And so that's why we just continue to encourage you, get into a growth group. We've got Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night groups. Any one of them would welcome you in a heartbeat. But Aaron, my schedule doesn't work for Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Okay, then help us start a Thursday group. Let's, let's start a Sunday afternoon group. Or maybe those aren't going to work. Okay, then just ask one person to meet for coffee before work or before school. Like get together on Saturday morning before the, the kids are up. 
find some way to get into an intentional growing group where you are reading the scripture together and you're praying for one another. Because God does something in that environment. Leanne and I, when we lived in Colorado, had the joy of leading a small group. And within about the first, second week of our group meeting, it became very, very evident that everyone in our group outside of Leanne and I were really, really, really young in their faith. Uh, it was obvious that they, they didn't understand God's love for them. They were a little unsure. Many of them felt like they really had to work hard to like impress God so that he would love them and like them. And we just began studying the scriptures together and, and began to, to pray for one another. And within about nine months, these people went from not being too sure about God's love for them to being totally confident that God loves them. They could see it vividly through the cross and the empty grave. But not only that, they now wanted to share it with others. They were starting to invite people to church. They were starting to make a difference at their workplace because they really began to understand the gospel and it made them excited. They were growing. And a lot of that growth happened not just in a Sunday worship gathering. It happened in our small group. That was one of our highlights of our time in Colorado, other than getting to see mountains. I think the places that you want to go spiritually, the, the, the place that God wants to take you, it's not going to happen if you just remain isolated. If you just listen to your sermon podcast, you just listen to your music, you just spend the time in your prayer time. Those things are good. Those things are important. Please keep doing them. But find a way to get into a group, even if it's just one other person. Because where even just two or three are gathered in his name, Christ is there among you. Now, in our pathway, we have gather, we have grow, but we also have give and go. We're not going to spend much time on give and go because next week we're going to look at how a church is to move forward in generosity. So we're going to cover a lot on the giving. And then the next week after that, we're going to look at moving forward in boldness and the last week moving forward in the gospel. And so we're going to really look at this idea of going and going together. But we need to at least stop and, and look here and say, well, I see it. They were giving together and they were going together. Because when a church decides to give together, they can accomplish so much more than if everyone just does things individually. And the same with going. When we go together we make a far greater impact than when we just go and do it as individuals. I get compliments almost every single month when I'm able to make it to the Waverly Food Bank. And I get told, man, Aaron, we could not pull this off without Riverwood. Like, you guys are incredible. You're amazing. And they talk about us collectively. They don't just talk about the individuals that have come. They said, Riverwood, the church, is making an impact. We couldn't have that sort of an impact if we just were off all doing our, our own thing. But because we every month say, hey, this Tuesday coming up, be it there at Vineyard, let's go and serve our community. It's making a difference. When we choose to do things together, the impact is so much more. Because God has a mission for his church. And I want to see us on that mission I want to see us moving forward into this next chapter, continuing to see the spiritually disconnected find and follow Jesus. And I think we're going to see it happen when we don't just individually gather, grow, give, and go, but when we collectively together say, you know what? We're going to gather together to proclaim Jesus. We're going to grow together because God wants to do something in us so he can do something through us. And we're going to give together. We're going to go together. Because you're not going to see that happen 
if you just remain in your isolated American mindset. It means we've got to get out of those ruts and start thinking, how can we do this as an entire church family? Because something will happen in the future when we collectively say, all right, God, together we submit to you. Lead us to where you want us to go. Heavenly Father, I just pray you would help us to be that church that moves forward together. That we would do it, not because uh, we we think it's going to make us cooler or better. We're going to do it because it's what you call us to. So Father, for some of us here, we need to make a greater commitment to gathering. Or would you, would you move them to do it? And, and may it not be a thing of guilt, but may it be a thing of inspiration. May they not do it because they feel kind of t- arm twisted to showing up on Sundays, but that they do it because you, God, want to do something in our midst. Some of us here, Father, we need to make a greater commitment to, to growing. And, and we need to be growing individually. But God, put us in the context of relationships because your deepest work happens there. As, as you use these other people to help us follow you, but also as you use us to help others to follow you. So Lord, just help us each individually make these steps, but also to make these steps together, to realize we are not alone. We are part of something bigger than just ourselves and that we would find so much joy in watching you work through all of us. So Father, just help us as a church to completely surrender to you as we individually surrender to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.